Hi, and welcome to Law and Life Matters podcast with South African Black Women in Law. My name is Ntawiseng Mutie, and today's guest is Noemi Muya. Noemi is a second-year candidate attorney and the founder of For Women in Law, a platform resolved on empowering women in law through mentorship, career talks, and legal education. She holds a BA Law and LLB degree, and she is a Golden Key member. Her interests lie in women empowerment, property law, and entrepreneurship. Hi, Naomi. Welcome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm okay. The weather is good, so I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Naomi. So I think we can get straight into it because I'm sure our audience is looking forward to learn about someone that I think everyone um, we always just see what you share on your page. So I think it will be very interesting for people to get to know you and everything that inspires you and, and the woman that you are and continue to become. And to begin with, Naomi, um, tell us what inspired you to study law. Okay, so um, so initially out of uh, high school, I wanted to go in, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to go into science. And I think I was in matric when I, I've always been an avid reader and I started reading a lot of books around like dip, the works of diplomats, like, you know, your Michelle Obamas, your Barack Obamas. And it, it really sparked my interest in how <clears throat> diplomats would, excuse me, <clears throat> diplomats would penetrate um spaces such as the United Nations, uh, the Red Cross. And I wanted to know how does somebody work for those international organizations because I thought maybe I could get there someday. And when, upon doing more research, I realized that most of these individuals had a background in law. Either they had studied law or they had become lawyers and so on. And I thought, okay, if I want to work for the United Nations someday, then I'm going to go study law because, you know, that's what I, that's how I think these individuals are getting there. So I went on to study law, got my BA law, got my LLB. And during the course of my journey, during, you know, the studying, the working, my, my journey was altered in the, in the world of practice because I'm now in practice, which I am in. So I haven't <laughs> reached uh, the United Nations yet, but I'm also still, you know, a baby lawyer, and yeah. I know so it's still it's, it's a long journey still, and who knows what the future holds? I might end up there one day, but yeah, that's what sparked my interest in law. That's very interesting. I, it makes me wonder. <laughs> it's always so interesting when you talk to people, and a lot of people, their inspiration was um, either a TV program. So to hear that right. you, you actually did your own research that's yeah I, right. yeah that's very interesting so you you did say you're calling yourself a baby lawyer yeah <laughs> so you are you are in your second year of um articles can you just explain to us what that journey has been like so from securing articles to now being a candidate legal practitioner how that's all been for you yeah so i'm awaiting admission um, so that's exciting. Congratulations. Uh, very much. Um, my journey was, I think it was pretty direct. So I did my BA low undergrad and then I did my LLB. 
Um, securing articles, fortunately, wasn't difficult for me because during my LLB, I, I, studied, I did my LLB through the University of South Africa, which allowed me to also then work and study at the same time. And I planted myself at a firm where we did mostly um, property law conveyancing and so on. And through planting myself in that firm while I was doing my LLB, <laughs> Once I completed my LLB, they offered me articles. And at the same time, another firm, the firm I'm currently working for right now, also offered me articles. So I had, before I even completed my, my a couple of months before I completed my degree, I already had uh, kind of two offers waiting for me to choose. So it was a pretty... Fortunately, uh, not as difficult as most people have it, which I'm very grateful for because I'm not uh, oblivious to the struggle of most um, yes. law students yes. trying to secure articles. So I'm super grateful that my journey to securing articles was was a bit easier. Into articles... Um, um, I'm sorry, David, just to disturb you there. Um, what, do you, what do you think... What about you and what I know you're saying you planted yourself in a in a law firm and that do you think yeah. that played obviously played a role in you being offered these offers? But the other firm, the other firm that you say you're currently working at, how did they did you apply there? How did they get to notice you? And how did you um, make your way to planting yourself in the other firm? What did you do? And maybe it can be something that other law students can learn from. Right. Okay. So with the firm that I planted myself in while during, uh, while uh, studying for my LLB, how I got in there, it's actually through Four Women in Law. One of the ladies I had interviewed on my platform kind of vouched for me to the director of the firm, letting her know that, you know, I'm an LLB student who's looking for, so what I had explained to, I, I had explained to the lady that I'd interviewed on, on for women in law that because I'm studying through UNISA, I feel as though I'm not really being exposed or meeting in the legal field because I don't know, you know, for anybody who studied through UNISA, for me personally, it was a bit of a lonely journey, especially coming from a traditional university where I did my uh, my undergrad BA law. So it, it, it proved to be very lonely. I wasn't meeting people. I wasn't meeting other law students really because, you know, we're all studying from home. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I really wanted to meet, if not law students, just plant myself in a in a firm where I'm doing like the practical work and, and, and so on. So I had spoken to her about that and she sort of vouched for me to... Um, the director of, of said firm and you know I, I, I got on a call with her and it was a very short interview and she told me I was hired I guess what what stood out there for I, I believe what stood out what made me stand out was the fact that I was very intentional about wanting to work and study at the same time I explained to her that, listen, I'm studying, but I want to work to get the practical experience as well while studying. And I think she was um, impressed by that. Mm -hmm. So she put me on board. She was willing to teach me. She was, she was, she was, she really served like a mentor more than just a boss. And I'm super grateful to her, uh, Trishana, that's her name. Super grateful to her. And I learned a lot under her guidance and um, yeah, she kept track of my, my studies. And when I was, you know, a few months from, from graduating, she offered me articles of clerkship. Mm. And during that, I then got a call from the other firm where I'm currently at. 
I had applied at that firm because during my LLB, I spent every day just applying, 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 because I, I understood and I was aware of the struggles of uh, securing articles. So I would spend at least a couple of hours during the day just applying for opportunities, applying for articles. So I, to be honest, I don't even remember when I applied at the firm that I'm currently in, but during you know those uh sending out applications i guess i had applied there as well and that particular firm i was intentional about because they the, the firm i'm in right now because they um the well the jobic branches anyway they deal specifically or we deal specifically with convincing and property law and because i was already planted in a firm where we did property law and convincing i thought this was, would look good for me if they knew that i already come from kind of a property law background mm -hmm. so when they called me for a uh, telephonic interview that went very well the next day i had to go in for the interview with the director it was actually one of the best interviews i've ever been in it felt more like a conversation mm. and um i spoke a lot about you know the fact that i already had a bit of property law uh, background because i was working at a, at a convincing firm and i also spoke about how active i am just on on my platform for women in law how, how passionate i am about um just like teaching and putting out information about law and about studying law to uh, my audience and i think that's what made me uh, stand out because one thing that my my current boss always tells me, even in the during the interview, is that being a convincer, being a property lawyer, it's more than just about being an attorney. It's about running a business. Yeah. It's about yeah, and that's something I've never forgotten. So I think her seeing how. Um, passionate I am about people that I'm a people's uh, you know person kind of I think that for her stood out because she needs that in her practice people who are willing to go out there to talk to we deal with agents we deal with clients mm -hmm. so I think that's what me uh, stand out and literally the next day they called me and they offered me they gave me an offer and yeah the rest is history it sounds like such an intentional journey it sounds like you're such a very intentional yeah. person that no. You, yeah. you understand yourself and you right. sort of understood where you wanted to be. And right. and again, mentioning things like connections, which is something that I think sometimes we we neglect. Um, that yeah. we, need, we, we need to connect with people and we shouldn't be ashamed of those people connecting us with other people because um, that's, that's, that's how we all move along and make it in the world. So... Um, yeah. Yomi, you know, you mentioned that, okay, you got this opportunity planted in a property and conveyancing law, law firm, and now you are in a, a firm that does the same work. Is Did you always love property law? Because, oh my goodness, I tell you, there are subjects <laughs> in the LLB degree that I'm just like, yeah. why are we doing this? Yeah. That gave me a headache. Property yeah. law is up there. Property law is yeah. part of this. So is, were you always interested in property law? Yes, I I discovered my interest for property law. When was it? I remember I I did a, a short internship at Lawyers for Human Rights. Mm. And 
um yes don't don't really deal with you know property law per se but there was like a housing and development um um what do you call it department and i remember just doing a little bit of reading about you know the you know the 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 transfer of immovable property and that sparked my interest um like just the, the entire process of buying and selling uh property and so it sparked my interest, but I didn't really do much about it. You know, I was still like in the beginning of my, of my studies. But then when I, I planted, I got, I got planted in the, the, the law firm where I was working and studying, that really sparked my interest even more because we were doing, I was still in the transfer team and I would frequent at the deeds office. So that was, it was, it was, it was exciting. So I thought, hey, um, the firm I'm in right now is one of the best convincing firms um, um, in Joburg. So it was an intentional move, you know, because I had those two offers yeah. and I thought, okay, let me, let me go learn, you know, uh, let me go learn from the best. And yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. And so what's your day like? What's a work day like for you? Okay. Um. Okay. So we get these deals usually we'll get um like it comes in the form of a sale agreement right we would get it either from the clients themselves or usually a lot of our work comes from agents uh property property agents right sales agents or so they will start send us deals and then we open the file and um, what I do on a daily basis, I'm communicating with sellers and buyers and even agents themselves, telling them what the transfer will look like, you know, what they need to be aware of. Like a lot of the times I find that first time sellers don't always know the cost involved when selling property. Um, so I'm usually kind of put in charge to explain that to them. Uh, so I spend a lot, of, a lot of my time on the phone you know, talking to um, uh, the parties involved. I also do a lot of drafting. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes the deals, you know, so a, a client will come to me and tell, and tell us, you know, they want to sell their property and they have a buyer. So we would draft then the sale agreement on their behalf. And then a lot of uh, drafting and negotiating and consultation with buyers and sellers as to how they want the, what they want the, sell, the, the sale agreement to provide. So I do a lot of drafting. There's your addendums. Um, yeah. Things like that. That's what my day looks like. There's a lot of drafting, a lot of negotiating with clients, um, a little bit of admin here and there, but that's mostly what my day looks like. Okay, that sounds very interesting. And yeah. so you say you're waiting admission. Does it does it mean, or rather, maybe the question I want to ask you is, would writing the convincing exam also be something you have to do in order to continue doing the work you're doing or it's not necessary or is it something that you just have done or are going to do anyway um so eventually i would have to get my convincing qualification only because if you want to remain within the the convincing uh field you know, as as a lawyer, you will have to become a convincer. Mm. Um, but yeah, a large part of it, you you would have to convince. So yes, in the long run, I do plan on getting my convincing uh, qualification. I did actually uh, give it a try this year. 
uh, we are awaiting our results. But yeah, it, it has it is in in the works. I've always heard that if there are exams that are intense, that is an intense exam to try and write. So I wish <laughs> all the best for your results. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, so. Naomi, just in general, what advice would you give to law students um, who are still studying, uh, thinking about articles, or just thinking about their the legal career? Um, what's this in the in the long term? What advice would you give to them? Okay, um, two things for those of you who are looking to get you know to be admitted as an attorney or an advocate, start. Uh, start looking for articles as early as possible, as early as, you know, second year or do vacation work. Try as soon and as early as possible because I think, like I mentioned earlier, it is quite a struggle to secure articles. Uh, there are a lot of law students who are struggling to secure articles. I see that even in the mentorship program at For Women in Law. So try as early as possible. But also... I think don't limit yourself to just uh, wanting to go into practice. I think when we are, and this is something I didn't even know, I wasn't aware of when I was a law student, mm -hmm. but when we are but we are studying law, I think all the information we get is about, you know, doing your pupillage or doing your articles of clerkship. Nobody talks to us about the other opportunities that are available outside of practice. And plenty like the LLB degree can open other doors for you and I don't think as law students we even think or try to explore these other alternative routes because you know practice is kind of shoved <laughs> down our throats like if yeah. you think about when career day for law students it's only the law firms that come the law firms that come and they tell us get your articles get your articles we don't get the information about what other alternative routes there are for law students who don't necessarily want to go into practice and there are a lot of law students who don't really want to go into practice but they don't have the information um available to them so they think practice is the only way to go if you are a law graduate so a law student, my biggest advice for law students right now is to um, explore other alternatives. There are plenty. I have interviewed women in law who have, you know, explored those alternatives, who are doing amazing. And yeah, that would be my biggest advice. Okay. Thank you so much, Naomi. Now let's talk about For Women in Law. What inspired For Women in Law? Um, did you feel like there was a gap somewhere and did you ever anticipate how big for women in law would become and how many people's lives? I think for me personally, you know, just has changed my mind, opened up my mind, um, encouraged me to connect and interact with women, you know, so what was the inspiration behind it? Oh, first, thank you so much. Um, so when I started for women in law, it was... It, yes, there was definitely a gap. I didn't have a platform like that when I was in uh, uh, law school, when I was a, a law student. I didn't have mentorship. I didn't have just any platform, platform I could go to that would kind of give me the information I was looking for. So I created a platform that I wish I had when I was a law, when I was a law student, a platform that is dedicated to just um, producing like information that 
producing information uh, that isn't easily available for law students. And um, I started that as a blog initially where I would write my experience as a law student, as an intern. And then um, one time I thought, I, I think I, I came across the, the, the profile of a lady called She's a Nigerian lawyer in the oil and gas um, um, field. Um, I practice in Nigeria, in South Africa, and in the UK, if my memory serves me right. And I was just so impressed by that. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as, you know, oil and minerals, kind of uh, a field like that in law. And I was super impressed by that. I interviewed her and... Um, that inspired me to then start interviewing women I found inspiring. Mm. And that it really brought like information that I didn't know, information that my read our readers didn't uh, uh, know as well. And that's how it grew. Did I anticipate it would become this, you know, a big? No, um, I, I didn't. And I'm super grateful every day for just the work that I'm able to produce and how many young girls are able to learn from it. It, it, it blows my mind every day. But the initial the intention was to create a platform that I wish I had when I was younger. And I'm super passionate about like just bringing out and um, bringing out and producing and um, releasing content that helps other, you know, I, I know it's for women in law, but it does help, you know, just lawyers in general. Yes, lawyers. Yes. And yeah, it's, 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 I'm super grateful and I'm super proud of what the platform is doing today. No, I, yeah, I think it's a beautiful platform, Nurem, and I, I personally, and I'm sure all the others who will listen to this will, we all look forward to watching the platform continue to grow. Um, so you focus on the platform on mentorship, career talks, and legal um, education. I think I wanted to, to zone in on the mentorship aspect of for women in law. I mean, earlier you did mention that you know, where you were able to plant yourself, where you got the opportunity to plant yourself, you felt like the, the, the boss was more of a mentor than a boss. And yeah. I just wanted to, for you to explain what mentorship has done for you and why you feel um, it's such an important part of one's life in general, but maybe also particularly for a legal um, career. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think mentorship is so important for anybody, like lawyers, any professional, anybody really. And, you know, when I was still a law student, I don't think I really had a mentor until I, I like my boss, like I said, until I got into that space. And even though it was like an indirect mentor-mentee relationship, it was still mentorship. And what I took from that is that sometimes a mentor will go beyond just giving you advice. They will vouch for you. Hmm. You know, they will support you in rooms where, you know, you're, 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 you're not. And that's the importance of mentorship. It's, it's having somebody who's already done what you're trying to do and they're able to tell you, you know, 
what not to do and what to do in order to get there, what mistakes they did so that you can try and avoid making those mistakes as well. And um, that's what mentorship has done for me. Uh, just the women who are already occupying the spaces that I'm trying to occupy, having them tell me and advise me on what to do, what not to do, which mistakes to avoid, and also having them speak for me and vouch for me in um, rooms and spaces. That's how I got my and uh, the, the the job I was I was talking about earlier, the lady who kind of vouched for me to my boss, I think that was a, a form of mentorship as well. Um, so that's what mentorship does, and I am passionate about mentorship. That's why I, cre I started the mentorship program. I think, especially for students who are coming from UNISA, they don't always have kind of the direction um, that most law students from other traditional universities have. They don't always know, um, um, they don't always have the information available to them. And what I've seen the mentorship do for these young ladies, it just it makes my heart so full because I have mentors in the program who are amazing women in law occupying these amazing great spaces and to see them just give you know their time to these ladies it's just amazing to me and I feel like we all need that um so yeah that's what mentorship means to me it's it's, it's a sisterhood it's it's vouching for um another woman it's it's giving advice um holding your hand and it's done, it's been amazing for me now, especially in my adult life to have people I look up to, people who are willing to mentor me. And it's about passing the baton and sharing the wisdom. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Passing the baton and sharing, accumulated. So that's what mentorship means to me. And and what would you say is um, the role of the mentee? Because you know, from what I'm understanding, it's not just a take, take, take um, relationship. You know, you have to participate, be present in the relationship and, you know, you really have to show up and do your part. So what would you advise um, law students or anyone really who's looking for a mentor and what do they need to understand about what their role is for, yeah. for that relationship to be successful? Absolutely. I love that you asked this because this is something I'm always trying to explain to the mentees in the program as well, that so you, yeah, you ask this, you know, you ask an, an individual to be your, your mentor, which is great, but then you can't then sit back and hope for them to continuously reach out to you. No, you have to do the work of reaching out to them. Like, what is it that you're needing? Where do you, where in your life you feel like you need help, need advice, that responsibility uh, rests with you so even in the mentorship I tell the ladies all the time that I have created this space where you have access to these women who are amazing and who have so much wisdom to impart it's on you to reach out to them it's on you to ensure that a relationship is built even beyond this program so that you know one day once you know you're already out of the program you can still reach out to your mentor and be like hey listen this and this and that or I remember you worked at you know wherever is there anything you can tell me you know about my application so I always tell the mentees that the responsibility rests on you to 
reach out to your mentors. I've had um because in the mentorship there's we have like small so it's 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 the the mentorship program consists of about a hundred mentees who are allocated to a mentor. And within the groups we would have like one or two mentees complain that you know they're not hearing from the mentor. And I would explain to them that listen, you need to reach out to your mentor because your mentor she doesn't know where you need help. She doesn't know what it is that you're needing. So what are you doing in order to let her know that you need help in this area? So the responsibility rests on you to create that relationship, to let her know where it is that you're needing her assistance in, for the, in order for her to, to, um, to help you and assist you. No, I 100% agree. It's, um, what you're speaking of is um, something that um, the organization South African Black Women in Law um, also amplifies, you know, um, there's a, a, one of the values is sort of, you know, like wake up and do it for yourself, you know, almost yeah. implying that you've got to take your own life into your own hands, take charge, right. especially, right. especially when you're given the opportunity, you know, when a door is open for you, it then becomes, it's all on you to, to right. run with it and take that and do everything that you can to make that a success. So I 100% agree with you. Um, so thank you, um, Naomi. I think now what I would like us to talk about, sort of a um, an educational um, aspect, which is, so if I give you this hypothetical scenario, I'm in Tabi Singh, um, I want to buy a house, you know. Um, could you explain to us, Naomi, what are who are the role players when this when I'm thinking about buying a house? What kind what things do I need to be thinking about? What costs do I need to plan for? And yes, all of those aspects that you think are important for us to know when we're thinking yeah. about buying or selling our homes. Right. Okay. So the process of buying or selling a house. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I, I think I mentioned this earlier. I think it's always very important to for the buyers and the sellers to be aware of what costs are, are involved because there are quite a lot, a lot of costs involved. So I'm going to start with the seller, for instance. So if the uh, buyer and seller were introduced through an agent, um, so then it becomes, then the agent is, is entitled to a commission. Okay, so a seller would be in charge of okay let me start from the beginning so the seller is selling, is, is selling property and the property let's say is bonded you know the seller had taken out a bond on the property and now that they're selling the property there is still an outstanding bond um available on the property so the first thing we do is we apply for bond cancellation figures okay. right so we apply bank and the bank issues us with bond cancellation figures and they're basically letting us know what is still outstanding on the bond and because because once the property has sold and we receive the proceeds of the sale we need to pay the bank uh, whatever is outstanding on the bond so there is that and then there is also bond um cancellation costs because you know the attorneys who are canceling the bond on your property as a seller are not doing it for free they are entitled to their costs as well so you are paying off you are you are settling your bond and you are also paying the attorneys their bond cancellation costs 
Okay. And then when we are transferring um, the property, in order for us to transfer a property from uh, the seller to the buyer, there needs to be no debt attached on the property. Like everything must have been paid off. And because a property transfer can take up to three months, you know, depending on how, um, just depending on the transfer itself, it can take up to three months. So what we do is we apply for what we call rates, clearance figures, which okay. is at the municipality. So let's say the municipality applicable is city of Joburg, where you pay your rates, your electricity, water, and so on, right? Yes. So we apply for what we call the rates uh, clearance figures. And usually the municipality will give us figures for a I think now it's four or five months, four months in advance. So let's say you are paying, you, you pay rates, your rates are a thousand rand every month. They're giving us uh, rates figures for four months. So it's like it's 4,000 rand. So you need to pay 4,000 rand worth of rates figures because just in case we, um, we let's say you, you, you sold your property in October and the transfer registers in December. By the time the transfer has registered, there needs to be no debt owing on the property. That's why the municipality asked that we pay those figures in advance. Should the property, um, should you have, for example, paid rates for four months from October, October, November, December, January, but the property registers in November, you are entitled to a refund from the municipality for the other two months. Does oh. that make sense? Yes, makes sense, yes. Yeah, right. So those are the race clearance figures. And then if there is a body corporate involved, for instance, if it's a sectional title, like where the property is like is, is, is in a complex, um, there usually there's a body corporate involved where you pay your levies. Yes. So we also then have to apply for levy clearance figures, which is the same. We pay, uh, depending on the body corporate, they can sometimes give us um, um, figures two, three, four months in advance. So then the seller pays those figures upfront. So this is very important, especially for first-time sellers that um, I spend my, my, my days sometimes explaining to them that you will have to pay your rate or levy figures in uh, at least four, three months in advance. This is so we can obtain what's called a rate clearance certificate or a levy clearance certificate so the yeah so the seller pays for that and then um another thing the seller is liable for is then the commission payable to the agent if the buyer and seller were introduced through an agent so the agent is entitled to a commission the seller is um this the seller pays for that so those are the main thing that the seller would usually pay for unless the offer to purchase provides for um, other things such as the uh, approved building plans or if the offer to purchase being the sale agreement provides that the seller has to um, fix certain things on the house. So that can be, you know, negotiated and arranged. But those, um, the items I mentioned before, those would be the main things that the sellers would have to cover. Okay. okay, so then we get to the buyer. So let's say the buyer is taking out, if they're not buying the house cash, if they are taking out the bond. Yes. Actually, well, before we get to the buyer, let's go back to the seller. Let's say 
if the seller uh, didn't have a bond attached to, to the property, let's say they had already paid up their bond and now they're selling the, the property and there's no bond applicable, they would also have to issue as with the original title deed. If they don't have the original title deed, it's lost or, you know, they can't find it, it's been destroyed. They are also in charge of, because um, then it would have to apply for what we usually call a VA copy in order to replace the title deed. And that's at the cost of the seller. Okay. Okay. Cool. So then we go to the buyer. If the buyer is seeking out a bond on the property, then they, um, so you, they would have to instruct so they have the transferring attorney so what i do is i do transfers so we are the transferring attorneys so a, 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 a buyer who's taking out a bond on the property would have the transferring attorneys and then they would also have bond registration attorneys so they have two sets of attorneys um and both attorneys are entitled to their um, costs. The transferring attorneys is entitled to transfer costs. The bond registration attorneys is, is entitled to bond registration costs. I stress that because a lot of the times when we call for our costs, the buyers will be like, but I already paid those other attorneys. And we're like, yes, you paid them for registering your bond. Now you need to pay us for doing the transfer. So yeah, so you're paying two attorneys. Okay. Um, if it can happen that one attorney is taking care of both your transfer and your bond, then you're just paying them twice. Okay, so um, the buyers would be responsible for that. And then if you remember earlier, I spoke about the seller um, being responsible for the rate and levy figures, right? So we get those figures, but then we have to also get the certificates, the clearance certificates while when the figures have been uh, paid, have been settled by the seller, those certificates are payable by the purchaser. So the purchaser is liable to pay for the certificates. So while the seller pays for the figures, the, the, buy, the buyers pay for the certificates that are issued. Oh. Okay. And then, um, oh, I just realized I forgot one thing, back to the uh, the seller. So in order to to, to pass a transfer we always need to obtain ele electrical compliance certificates yes. to ensure that the property is working you know uh, properly so the seller has to issue us with an electrical compliance certificate at their cost and if there's gas on the property they must also issue us with a gas compliance certificate and if there is an offense around the property then they must also issue us with an electrical fence certificate so those are the seller's costs uh yeah back to the buyer i think i've covered everything for the seller <laughs> buyers will uh, pay for the transfer cost they will pay for the bond cost um just want to think if I'm missing anything else. Yeah, that's it. That's what the uh, um, the buyers will pay for. And if you know they plan on taking occupation before the property registers, then they would have to pay the sellers um, uh, occupational rent at whatever amount has been agreed to on the sale agreement. So those are kind of the um, the, the costs involved um, um, during a transfer. And it can get pretty heavy. That's why, you know, as somebody who works in, in, in this field, I always try and make sure that the 
the, the, the clients are aware of these costs of, uh, that, that are applicable, especially the sellers, because sometimes a seller will sell and they think all they're doing is selling. selling yeah. I'm just... <laughs> No, ma'am, there are actually quite a few costs involved there. And a lot of the times we can't register until those costs are settled. So, yeah, those are kind of um, the costs available and the role players there. You have the sellers, you have your buyers. Um, if there is a bond being registered, then you have your bond attorneys. And then you have us, you're the transferring attorneys. We are the one seeing the transfer through from seller to buyer. You also have your bond cancellation attorneys. If um, the seller's property, um, if there's a bond registered um, in the seller's name when he's selling the property. So yeah, I hope I'm not missing anything, but yeah, that's, that's basically it. No, thank you. That was very educational. Thank you, Naomi. No. Um, what advice then would you have for someone who wants to um, what's this, get into your field of law and actually be sort of a property law expert, if I can call it that? Mm, I think when you are, I think it's very hard for, and correct me if, if you know, let me know what you think, but um, being an attorney yourself, but it's very hard to decide when you're a law student, which law you want to get into? Because like I said, I mentioned before, just securing articles in itself, it's so hard. People aren't even thinking about, you know, which field am I going to, you know, which, like what the firm, which field the firm deals with, where I, where I secure the article. They, people are just glad that they are able to secure articles. And even that, you don't always get to choose because, you know, there are some firms that do rotations. So yeah. you kind of get a, of different fields and then there are some firms that deal specifically um, with one field I guess if you really want to get into property law then apply at firms that deal with property law deal with convincing or firms where even if they do do rotations they um, they do have property law in the firm but I think it's I think it's hard for law students to always um, land in in the field that they yeah i don't know what you think but i think it's very hard i think and i don't know if it gets easier afterwards when you get admitted i've seen i've spoken to some um i think one of my recent interviews on for women in law i spoke to one of the ladies who had uh completed her articles at like of uh, uh in a different field but she was she really wanted to get into corporate and after her articles she yeah she worked really hard in order to get to corporate and she did get there but even in the in, on the interview she she talks about how hard it was and how not an easy kind of jump it was so i'm not sure um how easy it can be but it's not it's not impossible but yeah yeah, no, I don't think it's, it's definitely what you said that you sort of, you focus more on just praying to get the articles and you, yeah. you, you make what you get work. Um, yeah. I've also, it's very few people that I've generally interacted with that are, 
that landed in what they always knew from law school they loved and ha happened to be practicing that you know a lot of the stories are always usually oh I landed in this department and I absolutely yeah. love it and now I am pushing with, um, forward with it and, yeah so mm -hmm. I, I do agree that maybe the 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 possibly the best way would be to if you're really feeling like you're loving property law yeah um you know research um pay yeah. attention to what's happening in that space get involved in whatever way you can you know do something like what you did an internship while you're still studying in that yeah. kind of um firm and apply to firms that um have um property law departments that says yeah right. that's really the best you can do um, right um okay thank you um Nomi, tell us then, because you sound like such a busy woman, how are you balancing for women in law and being a candidate legal practitioner? Yeah. Um, so for women in law is, it's, 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 I feel like it's, it's just, it forms part of my job as well, because I'm running a platform that deals with law, that deals with, um, um, the journey of being a, a, a lawyer, a candidate attorney. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's hard, but it's not, it, 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 it kind of blends in together pretty well in the sense that I'll, I'll learn something at work and I want to quickly just like write about it or, mm. or post it, you know, I'll meet someone through work and I want to interview them. Um, I have spoken to the people at work about the platform. I've spoken to my principal about the platform. So I like that the platform is not isolated from my work. It's not isolated, blends in very well together. So I don't let it intervene with my work at all. I only um, work on women in law either during on, on weekends or after work. But honestly, it doesn't intervene with my with with my job. It it actually it just blends in very well with my, with my, with my work. Um, and also this year, I got an intern per se, somebody who's also passionate about the platform, who is passionate about you know putting content on the platform and um she's been doing that for me when i can't get to it because um especially in the beginning of the year when i wrote my exams you know things were a bit a bit a bit hard but i like that it doesn't intervene with my work it blends in very well and i a lot of the inspiration on 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 for women in law and on the articles that i publish comes from my work um, the, 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 the things I go through at work or the people I meet, uh, the things I learn. So it works pretty well like that. Okay. That's great. Um, that sounds really great. Um, just a final question. Um, two books that you think everyone should read. Um, and I'll say one for, personal career development and one just because it's a great book hmm let me see so i've read many books so it's always hard to pinpoint yeah, I, trust me, I know <laughs> but, um okay one book that everyone should just read because it's a great book. I think one of the best books I've read 
recently has been um, A Thousand Splendid Sons, um, Khaled Hosseini. Loved, loved that book. And I just, I love him as an author as well. So I think it's a very great book. So I'm constantly recommending it to everybody. Yeah, and if you want, okay. if you need a good cry, that's a perfect book. <laughs> Get into your emotions, that's the book. <laughs> And then um, another, uh, I think the second one you said was for sort of like self-development, career development kind of book, yeah. Um, there's a book that my former mentor gifted me with a while, a few years ago. It was called the, it's called Women Work and the art of savoir-faire, which means the art of how to do, knowing how to do it yourself. It's written by French lady uh, Mireille Giuliano, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And she just talks about basically doing it for yourself. You know, I think when we touched, we touched on mentorship earlier about how the, the responsibility rests on you to just go out there and do it and get the information that you need and ask for help when you need to. She speaks a bit, uh, a lot about that. And it's a book that I find myself constantly revisiting through the years. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I don't know if you, I, I can post, I send you a picture of it. Yes, it, it, it's really cool. And then there's also a book that I started, I didn't finish. It's, it's, um, what's this, what's the name? Um, nice girls don't get the corner office. Mm -hmm. The, the, um, the, the title really drew me because I wanted to, you know, just find out what exactly they mean. I've not finished the book yet, so I can't really give a review, but that's another book that, um, yeah, that, that, uh, drew me. Okay. Thank you so much, Naomi. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you, to get to know you, to understand a bit more about um, property transport transfers. And I think that will be very useful information for our listeners. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing amazing work. I'm always, I, I love anything that has to do with uh, women and law and women empowerment. So thank you so much for the platform and for having me on board. Thank you, Nomi. We look forward to continuing to see what work you do, what great work you continue to do with your platform. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie Singh. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.